Well, 1 Thessalonians 5, like I mentioned earlier, that's where we're going to start. We are going to be looking at a few different passages of Scripture. If you are already in the habit of writing down cross-references or writing down notes, um, like I said, we will be in a few different places, so have that pen and paper ready. If you're not in the habit of doing so, uh, I would encourage you as we go throughout this sermon, have some way, even if that is... Um, even if that is texting it to yourself or just typing it into your phone on the notes app or whatever it may be. Um, but try to write down at least a few of these cross references because um, I will try to move rather quickly through them. Um, but on the topic of Thanksgiving or the topic of giving thanks, again, for the Christian, we... Uh, we should always be aware that we are never in need of anything to give thanks for. We should never be in a situation where we where we think to ourselves, I don't have anything to give thanks for. Uh, days like that, moments like that should be um, should be foreign to the believer. Now, of course, in our Flesh and our weakness, we probably do have days or moments where we just feel like the sky's falling or we just feel like it's, it's too much. We're tired. We're weary. We're exhausted. And we don't, we don't feel like we have much to give thanks for at a particular moment. And so that's why I want to take this opportunity with Thanksgiving actually being this week for us to focus upon this idea of uh, giving thanks as a believer. And I want us to to root ourselves down and to anchor ourselves down in the truth of the Word of God. Uh, there is no better place for us to root ourselves down or to anchor ourselves down. And uh, whenever those days come in the future where we may be tempted to think, I don't have much to be thankful for right now. Or I'm, I'm, I'm struggling so much right now in my life. I really can't think of anything to give thanks for. I hope our minds are brought back to uh, these promises, these truths from the Word of God. Namely, that Christ is our Lord and Savior. And that nothing that happens in this life can undo or nullify that which has already been accomplished in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But let's start here in 1 Thessalonians 5. This is towards, well it is the very end of the letter. And Paul gives various admonitions and, and exhortations to the church at Thessalonica. We'll pick it up in verse 12. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, 
Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, just as a side note, those of you who have been here on Wednesday nights, you should have caught a lot of what we've been looking at from Romans here in 1 Thessalonians. And of course, Paul wrote both of those letters. But you see a consistency in the message of Paul to these churches, to these believers. And that's important. You see, the... The funny thing about truth is that truth is unchanging. And if truth is unchanging, then it doesn't matter what group of people you're talking to. It doesn't matter what season of life that you're in. To use a popular phrase nowadays, you might be in a particular season of life. It doesn't matter uh, at what age group you're sharing these truths. Truth is truth. And for the Christian... We ought to continually be brought back to these unchanging truths and these unchanging exhortations. The Christian is someone who ought to rejoice always. In Philippians, Paul says, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice as if to say, yes, you heard me correctly. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Here in Thessalonians, same thing. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. A Christian is someone who always has a reason to rejoice. A Christian is someone who who takes his cares, his worries, his anxieties to the Lord in prayer, but also his thanksgiving, his rejoicing. He offers those up as 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 sacrifices to God through prayer. And a Christian is one who is to give thanks in each and every circumstance of life. Now, believe it or not, I'm a human just like you're a human. So, I'm glad we got that out there. Okay? The reason I bring that up is, I've had bad days, like you've had bad days. As humans, we experience heartache. We experience suffering. We experience loss. We experience trials. We experience tribulation. We experience uh, life-altering decisions. You may, you may have made a moment in the past, or you may have one that you're mulling over right now, that you think... Whatever decision I make, this is going to alter the direction that me and my family or me as an individual, that I go from this point forward, this is a life-altering decision. My life is either going to go this way or my life is either going to go that way. It's a big decision. We experience all of those things. And with those, with heartache, loss, decisions, trials, with all of those things, there is a, a myriad of emotions that come along with those life experiences or those life events. And so I know that as a as a human, our gut reaction, our knee-jerk reaction to reading a sentence that says, give thanks in all circumstances. Probably something we're tempted to do is to think about all of the bad days, all of the hard days, all of the, the trial and tribulation that we've experienced in life. And we may think to ourselves, huh, well, how is that even possible? Like, I know it's there. I mean, I'm looking right at it. I know that it's there. But that's not actually possible, right? That's not actually possible, is it? We may be thinking that to ourselves. I'm a Christian and I know that as a Christian, we rejoice always, give thanks in every circumstance. But, you know, it's almost like an unspoken agreement. Like, that's not, it's not actually possible. 
And I fear that many, many Christians live their lives as if that's not actually possible. Yeah, I know we're told to give thanks in all circumstances, but we can't really actually do that. Well, yeah, we can. Yes, we can. And so that's what I want us to look at here today. I want us to look at the reason why. Actually, the reasons, plural, why. We can give thanks in every circumstance. Nobody, nobody gets confused or has trouble at this point when we think about the good times in life. When we think about the good days. When we think about the exciting events. Those, you say, of course, those are things. Oh man, that's easy to give thanks. Praise the Lord. It's only when we come to these moments of suffering. These moments of confusion. These moments of pain. Um, these moments of, of trial. These moments of helplessness. That is when we, even as believers, we get to these points where we say, how am I supposed to give thanks now? How does God expect me to be thankful now, and that is specifically the aim of this sermon today is I want us to look and give you reasons why, because I don't want to stand up here. It would be an easy thing to say, well, <coughs> our pastor preached on giving thanks in all circumstances today, and he reminded us that we are supposed to give thanks in all circumstances today. Uh, but, you know, I know that that's there. I know that we're saved by grace, but. I know that the, the exhortation is there, but, but me personally, I just, I still don't see how. I still don't see how we are able to give thanks in every circumstance. So I'm not, I don't want to just stand up here and say, hey, you know, as a Christian, you're supposed to be able to give thanks, right? Okay, well, let's pray and let's ask God to help us give thanks in all circumstances. Let's close out. Let's, no. I want to help us all, myself included, to see and remind ourselves of the biblical reasons why it is possible. Genuinely possible to give thanks in all circumstances as a believer. That's the aim so that we can say along with Paul, uh, like he says in Philippians 4, uh, when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, the context of that verse, Paul as a prisoner writing, saying that he rejoices, that he knows that it's part of God's will for him to be in prison. The gospel goes forth and Paul can actually rejoice in that. And he says, I know how to hunger and to be content. I know how to, I know, I know how to suffer want and I know how to enjoy uh, what I have, the freedoms that I'm given. I, I know how to do both. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want us to be able to say that. I want us to be, be able to say we can give thanks and we can rejoice in the good times. And we can genuinely rejoice and give thanks <coughs> even in the hard times. So, before we dive into other passages as well, I'll, I'll also throw this one in there. Because I do believe this is important. I can't preach two separate sermons at once today, but I do want to make a note on this. As I was growing up, and you may share this as well, so we shall see. 
I heard sermon after sermon after sermon in my life. How to find or how to know the will of God in your life. And a lot of times those sermons were preached in such a way where it was almost as if. And if you miss it. If you miss God's will for your life. You're never going to be as happy. Or you're never going to be as fulfilled as you could be. First and foremost. That's a terrible way to preach about the will of God. It's an unbiblical way to preach about the will of God. Secondly, you don't have to worry that God's will is some kind of mystery out there that we've got to, you know, we've got to pray over and just ask God for a crystal clear sign of what his will for us is. What are we reading here? Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Part of God's will is for us to give thanks in all circumstances, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. That's God's will for His people. In chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. God's will is for His people to be sanctified, to be purified, to be a set-apart group that is set apart for His own glory. So I'll leave it at that. But if you ever heard growing up, and if even as a full-grown adult, that you still have moments where you kind of think to yourself, I hope I haven't missed the will of God for my life because if I've missed it, I'm never going to be as content and as happy as I ought to be. I hope that even just that brief little teaching there gives you some peace and some comfort that you can know what the will of God is. Open the Bible and read. And it's there. But it is of note That Paul says specifically here. For this is the will of God for you. Give thanks. In all circumstances. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. This is significant. We can't say. Well we're supposed to give thanks in all circumstances. But I don't really think. I don't really think that's possible. Like how do I go about doing that? I, I don't think that's a legitimate. No this is the will of God for you. So let us look as we consider, yes, this means we ought to be thankful even for trials and tribulations. We ought to be thankful for suffering. We ought to be thankful for when we when we lose a loved one, we can still be thankful. You say, how in the world can we be thankful for the loss of a loved one? Well, if they were saved, we can be thankful for the promise of hope, the promise of eternal life. And we know that they are welcomed into the arms of God. But even in the case of a family member or a friend that was unsaved, we can still give thanks that, that the gospel goes forth. Hopefully, at, at, at the gathering, there will be a, a pastor who is faithful to share the gospel. There's opportunities with friends and family members when there is loss to share the gospel, to share the hope of Christ, to share the hope of eternity. And we can be thankful for the time that we did have with them on this earth because we're not deserving or worthy of any of it. Thankful even for persecution. If there is persecution that we have to suffer on this side of heaven, yes, we can rejoice and we can be thankful even for that. In Acts chapter 5, a group of, a group of disciples were, were, were beaten and, and threatened 
And it says that they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. What? To a lot of us, that probably sounds like insanity. But it's the truth. They left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Turn there just in, just in case anybody thinks I'm making this up. Turn to Acts chapter 5. Because <clears throat> it is much better for us to actually look upon it rather than for you just to hear me say it. We'll pick it up in verse 40 for sake of time. Acts chapter 5 verse 40. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. Then they, the apostles, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonest for the name. And that, of course, is the name of Jesus Christ. So when scripture says to give thanks, to rejoice always, give thanks in every circumstance, it is indeed talking about every circumstance. Turn to James chapter 1. Amen, Ren. Talking about God. She's talking about Jonah. <laughs> James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith Produces steadfastness. <coughs> and let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete. Lacking nothing. How does a Christian have joy in trial and tribulation? Now I want to make another distinction here. When we say count it all joy. When scripture tells us count it all joy. That doesn't mean that you go through a trial and tribulation saying. This is a blast. I'm having so much fun. This is awesome. No. This is not some kind of blind, positive thinking. I always look for the silver line and I always try to stay positive. This is, this is counting it all joy that is rooted and grounded, again, in the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. This is genuine joy and giving thanks. And sometimes genuine joy, it's joy that shines through the midst of tears and pain. It's joy and thankfulness that comes through a face that you can tell is on a person that is weary and exhausted and tired and has, and has been experiencing earthly pain. Nevertheless, that heart and that soul rejoices and, give thanks, and gives thanks to God who is faithful. How do we give thanks in the midst of trial and tribulation? There is a promise. There is a promise. There is a truth. That the testing of our faith, trials and tribulation, the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness, when it has its full effect, results in us being perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Trials and tribulations strengthen our faith. And when our faith is strengthened, we are a more complete, a more full, a more strong, equipped believer. 
So if you've ever wondered, God, why? Why am I going through this? The testing of your faith. To cause us to be stronger. To cause us to be more mature. To cause us to rest in Him. To rest in Christ. To depend upon Him. To understand that He is our only hope. He is our life. To cause us to understand those things with a deeper a deeper understanding. A deeper commitment of more full conviction. We have that. Thankful for suffering. Romans chapter 5. I know there's... <clears throat> I want to... I'm not naming names. But I know there's one among us today. And I know this for sure. I'm not trying to be some prophet. I'm being legit right now. I know there's one among us that... Um, she's actually heard me talk about these things recently. So I pray that God is certainly... Um, strengthening and equipping and edifying... As we go through these once more. Romans 5. Verse 1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing Knowing, hear that, hear that. He does not say hoping. He doesn't say crossing our fingers and hoping for the best. He doesn't just say looking for the silver lining. He doesn't say having a positive mindset. He says knowing without question, knowing that suffering produces endurance Endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We rejoice in trial and tribulation. We can rejoice in suffering. You say, "All right." when I remind us again, how, are, how exactly are we rejoicing in suffering? How exactly can we have that confidence to know that we can give thanks? We can rejoice in suffering? How can we actually be thankful when we're in the midst of earthly suffering? Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And as believers, we rejoice in hope. What is our hope? The glory of God. Eternal life. So as we suffer, we know that we are being prepared. We are being shaped. We are being strengthened. We are being caused to endure. Character is being produced within us. And as character is produced, there is is a greater hope and a greater joy in the life of the Christian. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We mentioned in Sunday school as well that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed. 
as a Christian, we should have a firm conviction that everything that happens in this life, everything that happens on this side of heaven, is part of God's plan to conform us into the image of Christ, to shape us and mold us into the image of Christ. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Believers, those that are saved, God's chosen ones, will be conformed into the image of Christ. So we should be convicted and we should be uh, have a conviction that we know that all things that happen to us on this side of heaven are part of God shaping us and molding us and conforming us into the image of Christ. There will be great suffering. There will be great pain. There will be trial and tribulation. But none of it is without purpose. None of it, none of it is without meaning. Consider... Christ Himself. Was His earthly ministry, was His earthly life a life of ease? A life of earthly prosperity? Was His a life where where everyone loved and supported and encouraged Him and doted on Him? Or was His a life of suffering and pain and rejection? And he tells his own followers, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. You are not of this world just as I am not of this world. The world does not accept Christ or His followers. Therefore, there will be to some extent earthly suffering, earthly trials and tribulations in the life of every believer. There will be suffering for the faith. But there will also simply by default. Because we live in a sin cursed world. There will be earthly suffering. We will all if we haven't already. We will suffer the loss of a loved one. I'm not trying to sound uncaring or crass. But in the grand scheme of things. That is part of life. There is a 100% chance. That everyone who lives will die. Earthly speaking. You don't have to do the math or do the... It's across the board. There's a 100% chance all who live will die. And when that one who passes is one that we loved and we cared about, furthermore, if it is one that was a part of our own immediate family, it hurts. It stings. There is pain and there is heartache that we could, we could barely even try to put it into words when we are going through that pain and going through that heartache. We struggle to find the words to explain to people how we actually feel in those moments. But even in that moment, as a believer, as a believer, even in that moment, we understand that death itself is a, is a reminder that we live 
on a sin-cursed world. And when we start to think about, oh yeah, that's right, the sin curse. Well, where did that come from and how did that play out? Oh, the sin curse. There was also the promise that the head of the serpent will be crushed. And even in those moments of great loss and pain and suffering, as a believer, our, our faith, our minds, our hearts ought to be drawn through faith to the reminder, God is who He says He is. God is faithful. And again, if the one that if the ones that we have lost, if they were believers as well, we know that they to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we rejoice in the promise of eternal life. We rejoice in salvation. And in those moments, we don't rejoice just in our own salvation. We rejoice specifically over the salvation of the ones that we have lost because we know that that salvation has granted them eternity in heaven. Rejoice in all circumstances. Rejoice in all circumstances. We've looked at James 1. We've looked at Romans 5. We've looked at, at Romans 8. Which, by the way, if we were to read the rest of that through Romans 8, <clears throat> we know whatever earthly, whatever earthly trial or tribulation you can think of, uh, Paul goes on to say, we'll pick it up in 33. He says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is there to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. If you're ever looking for something to give thanks for, if you're ever looking for something to rejoice over, as a believer, remember this. Jesus Christ himself is interceding at the right hand of the Father for you as well as for all believers. Give thanks. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And this is where I'm saying... Whatever kind of trial or tribulation you can think of, listen to this list. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, again, not crossing the fingers, not hoping for the best, not looking for the silver lining, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now that's the, that's it right there. You could look at that one or two ways. You could say, that's the apex. That's the tippy top of the mountain that we're trying to get to. That's what we want to understand over everything else. If we can grasp that, then we would understand that is why we give thanks in all circumstances. Because no matter what we're going through here on this earth, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not only will it not separate us, it's actually preparing us for future glory. It's making us stronger. It's causing us to endure. It's producing character. It's producing hope. It's conforming us into the image of Christ. As our flesh is, is killed and crushed, and as our flesh is left behind in the, in the wake of earthly trial and tribulation and suffering that's conforming us to Christ. Therefore, our flesh is being left further behind. We know that we are being conformed into the image of Christ, which will result 
in glory forever. Or as I said, you can look at that one of two ways. That's the apex. That's what we're trying to grasp. That's what we're trying to comprehend. And what, once God has brought us to a place where we truly believe. That is the truth that anchors us and roots us. So that we can be like that tree that's planted by the waters that we're not shaken. We're not moved. We don't, no longer do we have moments in our life that make us think, well, maybe I don't even believe any of this at all. When we go through a hard time or when something happens to us, we don't, instead of having thoughts where we think, well, where was God? What did I do to make God so upset with me? We move from that immaturity and that weak faith, and I don't mean that as an attack, I'm just, that is what it is. When we have those moments where we say, where was God? How did God let this happen? That's weak faith. But when we understand these deep biblical truths, when God helps us really grasp these things, sink our teeth into them, that's what will help us move over into this area where we say, God is good. And these sufferings, these trials, these tribulations, God, thank you for testing my faith. I'm not worthy to have my faith tested. Not only that, through the testing of my faith, you are strengthening me. You are causing me to be a stronger, more rooted, more firm Christian. God, thank you. You are reminding me that I am yours. And you are keeping your word. And you are proving to me that even in suffering, even in trial and tribulation, not only are you there, but you're working it for my good and for your glory. Thank you, God. In my flesh, I'm, I'm undone. I'm torn apart. I'm hurting. I'm exhausted. I'm going through pain. My heart is broken because I've lost a loved one. But in my spirit, oh God, I give thanks. Because I know that you are good. First Peter chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, but First Peter chapter 4. He, he, speaking of persecution, he says, don't even be surprised. I'm paraphrasing, but don't even be surprised. Christians, believers, don't be shocked. When the fiery trial comes upon you. But rejoice in as much as you were counted worthy. Well, that sounds pretty familiar to what we read in Acts, right? If. And really, this is. This is what we have to ask ourselves. I was going to say, if these things are true. I'm not going to go that route because that's poor on my part. Because these things are true. So what it comes down to is this. If you and I, if we don't deeply, genuinely, sincerely believe these truths, then what will happen, what will happen when we go through trial and tribulation or suffering on this side of heaven, we will start to question. We will feel overcome. We will feel overwhelmed. We will feel helpless. We will find ourselves in situations where we, we might not say it out loud, but we'll be thinking to ourselves, I got nothing to be thankful for right now. 
Life is too hard. This is too much. I can't do it. I, I just can't. And for the believer, for the believer, what you and I need at that moment is for our faith to be strengthened. What we need is a reminder that God is who He says He is. Now that might come in the form of maybe a brother or sister in Christ comes alongside of us and they tell us what Jesus had to tell His disciples a few times and they say, Oh, you of little faith. Have you forgotten the promises of God in His Word? Or it may just look like us in desperation, we pull out the Bible and we read and we pray. And it may be the very Spirit of, him, Spirit of God Himself reminding us through the Word, I am who I say I am. I haven't changed, child. These promises are true right now, just like they were true yesterday. And they will be true tomorrow and on into eternity. Because I, God, am who I say that I am and I'm unchanging. But in those moments where we find ourselves saying, this is too much. I can't handle this. We need our faith to be strengthened. Secondly, on that point, when we get to the point where we say, this is too much. I can't handle it. I can't do this. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. That's actually precisely where we need to be because that's the whole point. We can't do it. We are weak. We are helpless. We're helpless against the power of sin. We're helpless against the trials and tribulations of this life. But as a believer, we can write, hey, that's exactly right. This is too much for me. This is too much, too much uh, uh, more than I can handle. That's exactly the point. And our attention is turned right back to Christ. But what we ought to be able to do, and I pray that just... Even in this one sermon, I wish, you know, I wish we could have made an agreement where we could stay here all day and just talk about God's faithfulness for the entire day. But y'all came here to hear one sermon, so one sermon it is. Okay. I hope and I pray that even through this one sermon that has just been a few verses, a few passages of scripture reminding these are the promises that we can we can bank on them. These aren't things I hope that is true. No, it is true. So either we have to, if, if we actually do believe it, what we just talked about, if we don't really believe it, if our faith is not strong, if we have faith that wavers, that's what we were just talking about. If we do believe these things, if we have a firm conviction that these things are true, then guess what? We will be able through the spirit of God at work within us. We will be able to genuinely hear me. Not hypocritically. Oh, I'm giving thanks. And inside we're thinking, I'm so sick and tired of this. I just want out. I'm tired. I'm weird. God, give me a break. No, we will be able to genuinely, from the depths of our heart, say, God is good. And I give thanks to Him today for all that He has done. Even the things that have crushed me. Even the things that have broken me. Even the things that have driven me to my knees. I give thanks. Because it is all from the good and gracious hand of our Father. And Hebrews 11, again, you don't have to turn there, but I would encourage you, 
Hebrews 11, we oftentimes, we only focus on the first part where the hall of faith, right? By faith, Abel. By faith, Noah. By faith, and the list goes on. But towards the end of that chapter, there's this list. You know, people were, people had their homes and their goods taken from them. Some people were sewn into. Some people were killed, tortured. But then it says some of them, some believers actually refused, refused to be let go or released of that earthly tribulation because they knew they had a hope of a greater home, a hope of a greater reward. They refused. So to put that in perspective, and this is really, really, you know, I'm paraphrasing a lot or I'm, and I'm trying to paint a picture real quick. Uh, imagine that, that that you and I, that we had literally had everything on this earth taken away from us. The bank accounts drained, our home taken from us. We were in jail. We were in prison. We were suffering persecution. And somebody comes along and says, all right, if you will just say, if you will turn your back on Christ, if you will just say, Jesus is not Lord, we'll let you go. We'll let you go. You can have all your stuff back. And you can go back and you can build your earthly life. That's what the verse is talking. Some people refused to do that. Why? How in the world? If that was the case, if everything on this earth had been stripped from us and we were just wanting relief and somebody comes along and says, say that Jesus is not Lord. Turn your back on Christ and we'll release you and you can go. How in that moment, how in the world could we look at this person and say, No, I choose the suffering. I choose the persecution. I choose the earthly tribulation. How in the world can we do that? How can I be able to do that? And the verse tells us is because they understood they had a hope. They had a greater reward. They were looking to what was to come. The hope and the promise of Christ. Eternal life. Eternal glory. So in closing, I want us to look back at 1 Thessalonians 5. Because the letter of 1 Thessalonians, just to set this. In that, in that letter, Paul gives thanks and praise for God's work among these believers. That they didn't just hear the gospel, but they believed it. Paul gives a testimony of his own work there and how he and the other ones that were helping him. How they behaved and how they operated in Thessalonica. Paul reminds them that Paul says we, speaking of him and his his co-workers, his fellow laborers, we were called to suffer. We were appointed to suffer. And so he reminds the believers there at Thessalonica that, and he says, we rejoice in the good report that we received about you. Then he gives some general exhortations about the Christian life and how we ought to seek to live the Christian life. He has some notes on the second coming or the day of the Lord because the believers in Thessalonica were concerned about what was going to happen with those that had already died, those that had had passed on before them. There was some confusion there about what was exactly going to take place. Um, And then so he, he, he gives some notes and some teaching on the second coming on the day of the Lord and he tells them to be vigilant because we know that the day of the Lord is coming and we ought to be vigilant. We ought to be aware, uh, diligent. We are not like those who are of the night or are asleep. We are those that are of the day. We belong to the day. So let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And 
uh, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And then he tells them this. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. God has not destined us for wrath, but to, to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. If you're a believer here today, then whether you live or whether you die, you will obtain the full salvation that is through Jesus Christ. Nothing is going to change that. But what I want us to do in closing, this is more of a practical exercise. <clears throat> If you're sitting here in the service today and you're thinking, okay, what all do I have to give thanks for? Let's practice this. Let's put it in practice. Here's our exercise. We have life. If you're sitting here today, you're alive, right? Everybody check your pulse. Make sure, yeah, we're all good. You're, you're alive and breathing. Okay? Even if you thought this sermon was boring, it didn't bore you to death, right? Okay. We're all alive. So start there. You got breath in your lungs. Do you deserve that breath? What did you do to put that air there? What did you do to cause your lungs to work? Nothing. Who is upholding your life? God Himself. We have life. Give thanks. If you're here today, you have health. You say, well, my health isn't as good as I want it to be. Well, you're healthy enough to be here in church today. Give thanks. But let's go the other way with it. Brother Caleb, I agree with what you're saying, but I have had bad health in my life. I've had so many surgeries. I've lost count. I'm on so many medications. I've lost count. And, yeah, I, I've just, I, I just grow weary of not having good health and, and just being sick all the time and, and this and the other. What have we just discussed? Sufferings, trials, tribulations for the testing of your faith, to strengthen your faith. How does having bad health, how does being sick, how does, how does being reminded of our weakness, how does that strengthen our faith and cause us to depend more upon Christ? Rejoice. Rejoice. Give thanks. This isn't some kind of, oh, okay, so you just want me to be thankful that I'm sick all the time? No. Give thanks that God is good and God is faithful in the midst of the sickness, in the midst of the bad health. And that if sickness and bad health is the trial or tribulation or earthly suffering that you have, that He is still preparing you through that sickness, through that illness. He is still preparing you for glory. Many of us have our spouse here with us uh, this morning. If you're married, I was almost going to say happily married, but the point I'm going to make is even right now at this moment, if you're unhappily married, but we have a spouse. The, listen, the gift of marriage, it's a gift. None of us deserve the opportunity to have a spouse. None of us deserve the opportunity to start a family. Okay? So your spouse, all of the good, anything good, that you, the reasons why you fell in love with your spouse, all the good memories that you have, but even the bad, check this. Every argument you've had as a married couple, all of the disagreements, all of the bickering, all of the not seeing eye to eye, all of the times where it was, well, I want to do it this way. And the other one saying, well, I want to do it this way. And you butted heads, all of that sanctification. Sanctification. Now, as a note, don't use that 
Don't you dare take that and say, oh, Brother Caleb basically told us it's okay to be mad at each other all the time because of sanctification. So we can we don't have to resolve any of our arguments. We can just continue to be mad at each other and bicker all the time because, you know, Caleb said it'll all work out in the end. No, that's not what I'm saying. But male and female, we, we butt heads sometimes, don't we? Okay, good. I'm glad we're awake. Right? Husbands and wives, you butt heads occasionally? Okay, good. I'm glad we're awake. You're a liar? There's an altar up here. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but listen, and we can we can laugh. It's good because we understand what that's life. That is that's part of life. You know what else? That goes back to the garden. It goes back to the garden. But we as believers, we have a hope. That even in the midst of that problem getting resolved, even in the even in the middle of the argument, God isn't just working at the end of the argument. Okay, well, God helped us get over that and we worked it out. God is working in the midst of it. There is a purpose. There is an intention. There is a meaning. Even in the midst of the miscommunication, even in the midst of the back and forth, even in the midst of the butting of heads. The husband and the wife are both being sanctified. The husband and the wife, if both are believers, they are both being conformed. To the image of Christ. We have that as a sure hope. Again that's not a. Mm, well I hope I can make myself believe. That every time me and my wife. Or me and my husband don't see eye to eye. That it is for our good. No don't hope for it. Know that it is true. Family. How many of us this, this morning. Um, have kids. I'm sure y'all couldn't guess. We Okay. All right. So the gift of family. Again, gift. Do children sometimes make you want to smash your head against the wall in frustration? Or hit a wall in frustration? Okay? Newsflash, children don't always listen all the time. Right? Every punishment that you as a father or mother, every punishment that you've had to dole out, is not only for that child's sanctification, it's for our sanctification. And how many of us would have to say that, you know, there's been times that I've punished a child and really it was just cause, just cause of something that, that I failed or I was doing at, at a particular moment and I, I lashed out in anger against the child, but really the child hadn't done something wrong. It was really me. Guess what? That's sanctification. God exposes our own sinfulness. God exposes our own sin through being a parent. So every frustration, every punishment, every time that child does something wrong, but, Probably, probably the biggest thing that I've thought about in, you know, I've got so many years under my belt, but in about a little over two years, apparently, the biggest thing is as often as your child really has done something wrong or disobeyed or not listened, as many times as you have to repeat the same thing that you know your child has already heard a million times, consider the patience and the long suffering of God with his children. Consider the faithfulness of God to His children to chastise them, to correct them, to forgive them. All of that with our children, with our family, the good and the bad for our glory. Now, with Thanksgiving coming up, I will throw this one other one in there. And this will be a little bit humorous, but it's humorous <laughs> with a purpose. I'm sure a lot of us, many of us, maybe all of us, typically, there's at least one, maybe two family members that your entire life you've just thought, I just don't know how to get along with that person. 
They, you know, they, it's almost, I know we're family, but it's like, that, that's one apple that fell way off the tree. Yes, again, newsflash. Not every single person in every single family gets along. Guess what? That family member that you can't get along with is for your sanctification. And it's for your good. What sins are being brought out in our own hearts when we think about that family member that gets under our skin and that we don't like? Furthermore, have we ever been humble enough to ask ourselves, I wonder if I'm that family member for anybody else. I wonder if I'm that family member that somebody else can't stand. And I wonder what the reason is. I wonder if we can resolve that. I wonder if we can mend that relationship. Many of us are still working, still have jobs. The fact that we're healthy enough to work a job and that job provides for our families. Praise God for that. Even if you have a boss that you can't stand. Even if you've got co-workers that get on your nerves. We're not worthy to have the health to work and to provide. You say, well, I'm retired. I stopped working a while back. You lived long enough to retire. Oh, yeah, but they don't. my retirement check isn't where I want it to be. You're getting paid. I mean, not to sound too crass or too uncaring, but you, may, you live long enough to retire. We can always find something to complain about, always find something to grumble about. Well, they're not paying me enough. Well, they're not giving me enough. You have your health. You work. You retire. Enjoy. Give thanks. Leisure time. And I'm, I mean leisure time. Whether you like to hunt, whether you like to fish, whether you like to piddle on old cars or whatever. Whatever your hobbies are when you have leisure time. Think about it as enjoying God's creation. None of us are worthy to enjoy God's creation. But not only does He allow us to work and thrive and have a family and provide. He actually enjoys us opportunities at times where we can literally just go out and have leisure. And enjoy His creation. Give thanks. Then, as a believer, leisure time sometimes ought to be fellowship. The fact that God gives us brothers and sisters in Christ that on this side of heaven, we can have a little slice of heaven each and every time we come together and we worship God together. We worship Him in unison. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's exactly... In the new heavens and the new earth, it's going to be perfect worship all of the time, perfect fellowship. But we get little glimpses of that. We, we have moments to enjoy that here on this earth. Memories. All of the memories you have throughout life, whether they're good or bad, they're memories of a life that God has gifted you that we're not worthy of. And when we look back on those memories again, the good and the bad, as believers, we ought to be able to say, look at God's faithfulness. Look at God's faithfulness. Look at how many times, look at how many times He has proven what we just looked at, what we just read. Look how many times He has proven faithful. Look how many times He has sanctified us. Look how many times He has purified us. Look at how many times He tested our faith and our faith was made stronger because of it. And then not only the memories, we know as believers, we have stuff that we're still yet to look forward to. There's ways and there's blessings and there's good things that God's going to grant to us that we're going to enjoy on this side of heaven that we haven't gotten there yet. But ultimately, namely, chiefly, what we have to look, look forward to is being glorified with Christ forever. And there is nothing that can hinder or undo or nullify that truth. So in short, Christian thankfulness 
is that which is rooted in the finished work and person of Jesus Christ, who has purchased our redemption, freed us from the wrath of God, granted to us eternal life that will result in us being raised up with Him on the last day. And we understand that nothing can undo or nullify that perfect work of Jesus Christ. And not only can it not be undone, but because we are the recipients of God's grace, all things that happen on this side of heaven are for our good and are conforming us into the image of Christ. So in closing, I'm going to read the next two verses of 1 Thessalonians 5. We pick, we'll pick it up in verse 23. And we'll read 23 and 24. I'm going to read this and then we're going to close. This right here, let this be kind of the finishing touch, the capstone on this little ser- sermon. May the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Give thanks in all circumstances. Let's pray.